Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Here's what I want to do. I want to show you how to actually look at the new covenant through the new covenant. I want to show you how to read the Bible, understanding that we are on this side of the cross and the kind of covenant that we are in with Jesus. So we've been talking about this series called God and Sinners Reconciled, which comes from the, you know, the famous Christmas song, God and Sinners Reconciled. And we don't really know how reconciled we are as believers because depending on what kind of background you came from or what kind of church you came out of or how you might even misunderstand the Bible, you might not really understand that you are fully reconciled to God, that God has removed everything out of the way that would ever keep you separated from Him and says, now, the door is wide open and there's one thing to get you inside and that is my son right here is the door. Walk through my son and we are reconciled. God reconciles himself to you. We must reconcile ourselves to him. And that is looking at his sacrifice and saying, I can never be good enough to qualify myself. Jesus was on my behalf and through him I enter into relationship with the Father. Amen? Now, here's what happens. You hear that and you still have an old covenant mindset. And so where we are, for those of you that maybe are kind of coming in on the tail end of this series, we're talking about covenants. And there's a couple of different types of covenants. A covenant, first off, is a binding agreement between two or more parties. A lot of what you see God doing through the Old Testament is a few different types of covenants. There's, these are the different types of covenants here. There's a kinship covenant. Most of us are actually in a kinship covenant because a marriage is actually a kinship covenant. If you've ever sold something where you had to sign something and you agree to the terms of that sale, that was a kinship covenant where two people come into agreement, execute a transaction. That's kind of what marriage is for some people these days, just a transaction. But anyway, I'll keep on going here. There's also a suzerain vassal covenant, which is what the old covenant, when we refer to the old covenant, there were actually covenants before what we refer to as the old covenant, but the Mosaic covenant is what Jesus talked about when he talked about the old covenant, when Paul talked about being free from the law, that the, that covenant is passing away so that the new can be established. It was a suzerain vassal covenant, which is a king would make a promise to his subjects, but it depended on obedience to specific terms to qualify for the promises and the blessing from that king. And then there's what we are under, which is a royal grant covenant. A royal grant covenant requires no action on the part of the beneficiary. It is an unconditional promise. Now, I told you, this isn't going to be your light Christmas message. We're going to go deep into some of these things in Hebrews, but it's for one reason. I want you to be completely secure in the fact that Jesus is your redemption, that he secured for you an eternal redemption. The reason that God sent Jesus into this earth was not to judge you, but to be judged on your behalf. And that is the message we get to carry to people. We walk in this ministry of reconciliation, going to the world, telling them, look, you know you can't be. Deep down, you might not believe in that literal six-day creation. You hadn't quite worked out how you know, Noah got all those animals on that boat. There's no archaeological evidence possibly for 
you know, the exodus out of Egypt. But there is something deep within you that wrestles with this idea. And this idea is Christ having risen from the dead. Christ having come into this earth, embodied mankind fully, <clears throat> and wiped away everything that separates us from perfect eternal life and destroyed everything that separates us, and then in his victory made a promise to humanity that says, in me you can have eternal life. And this is what we're talking about. So if you don't know that you're in a, in a uh, grant covenant with God and you still think you're in one of these kind of older type of covenants, this is a real question for you. You can go ahead to the next one. <clears throat> can you break the new covenant and lose your salvation? This is, I'm telling you, this is a light Christmas message. Not. <laughs> but, but it's a big question because you have people out there worried that there is a line in the sand where you might cross it too many times and God's going to say, nope, I'm done with you. And I want you to walk out of here today being fully confident that God will never be done with you. Amen. God is not looking for a reason to be done with you. Amen. In fact, everything that ever kept you separated from experiencing his love for you, he's already dealt with. Now, you probably know this, but in this series, we've been going through and giving you some pretty deep information to help you communicate this to people. Because I know what happens. You go out and you have these conversations with people and you say something like, well, God's not mad at us anymore. And then you get somebody that thinks that they know the Bible or they've got this seminary background training and they it seems like they're just picking you apart. And you don't really know how to back that up. And I'm walking through showing you how to do these kinds of things, how to, how to properly exegete Scripture to come to New Covenant conclusions Amen. is what we want to do. So if you haven't been part of this series, go back to our website, listen to the last couple of messages. But today we're going to look in Hebrews. You ever read this passage here? Hebrews 10, 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That's a really feel-good message right there, isn't it? Honestly, raise your hand if you've ever been confused by that passage. Raise your hand if you've ever read that and thought, man, I might send my way out of this promise of eternal life. You ever felt that way? Yeah. Well, fear no more because... I'll show you how to actually get to this idea. So, next verse here. It's actually... So, when you look at the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews, we actually don't know who wrote it. Probably Apollos. Most people assume Paul, but it doesn't really tell us. It doesn't tell us who it was written to, although the title gives us a little bit of a clue. But when you look at what he's talking about, you come to the conclusion that whoever wrote this is writing to people that he assumed knew all about the Old Covenant system. Now, that was what Paul did over and over and over and over again was go to people he wasn't really called to go to. He would go to the Jews and say, look, this salvation is for everybody. This person here seems to be writing to people that understood the Old Covenant Levitical priesthood. They understood at one point that Jesus was the fulfillment, that Jesus was the Messiah, that all of those prophecies pointed to. But they were starting to leave the faith and go back into the Levitical priesthood thinking that they could go back and offer sacrifices again. It seems to be that he's writing to people who were believers but then started trusting in their own efforts or their own sacrifices to maintain their salvation or possibly even rejecting Jesus to begin with. 
That right there, that bit of information helps you understand all of Hebrews. So when you get to a point like this, I'll give you a quick Bible interpretation lesson. You have to let the author define the terms that you're reading about. And a lot of times people, preachers get accused of lifting one passage of Scripture out and making it say something that everything around doesn't support that one passage. And you think I'm kidding, but we're reading the entire book of Hebrews today. No, close. So... Here we go. I just want to walk you through and show you, keeping the mindset that this is somebody writing to people who had heard about Jesus, possibly even had accepted him, understood that he was the fulfillment of the Messiah, that salvation was in him, and that he was establishing this new priesthood, and that under his priesthood is no more about sacrifice, it's about mercy. So remain faithful. Because you've got a church that's being persecuted and killed for their faith. I mean, they're being, you know, boiled and thrown to the lions and all this stuff. And he's writing to people who are fearful. And they're thinking, man, I don't know, this whole thing where I could take a dove down to the high priest, that's, that's a lot better than standing up for my faith and losing my head. You know? So he's, he's writing to people who are facing serious persecution and second-guessing their faith. So what I want you to watch when you're walking through this is that, number one, when he defines sin or when he defines disobedience, he relates it to the Jews, the Israelites that left Egypt and followed God through the desert, and he defines disobedience as unbelief. When he gets to, and you'll see all of this in here, and there's a reason I'm showing you this, because you have to take the author at his own terms, and when he gets to the point where he warns you about deliberate and willful sin, he's talking about an evil heart of unbelief. He's not talking about evil actions. We know that evil actions follow whatever is in the heart, but what he's talking about is, look, don't back away from the faith. Don't fall away. Don't have an evil heart of unbelief in you like the Israelites that missed out on the blessing and promise that God had for them. Don't go back into that because after all, remember Jesus is this and Jesus is that. Now, here we go. You ready? All right. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, 2,000 years ago, he's calling it last days. What he's talking about there is the last days of the oppressive, corrupt, Levitical, sacrificial priesthood. He's talking about the end of the age of sacrificing to God for the appeasement and atonement of sin to this new covenant that he's setting up. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom the world was created. So what you see here is an author that's establishing certain things, and he's pointing everything to Jesus as the one who is the high priest. Now, you'll see warnings as well. So the first thing is watch how he defines sin and disobedience, which are the same thing really in that mindset, and then watch what he warns about. You with me? Those are the two things watch. So then from there, he goes through and he quotes a bunch of psalms about what it would be like for the Messiah to come. Uh, next verse. Hebrews 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Now, I want you to take this as either a warning or as instruction to you. Because in this day and age, there are a lot of voices against Christianity. There are a lot of voices against you communicating your faith, you know. I, I got a text randomly from a friend that said, what do you think is the greatest spiritual 
problem in our church these days? And I'm like, well, that's a pretty good question. I, I don't know that there's really spiritual problems. I think there's a lack of expressing what you have in your spirit. But for me, it was, well, loving people and trusting God. That's the biggest spiritual crisis that we have is that we're not loving God and letting Him love us and then that turning into love toward others and spilling out. You know, that is the only formula that Jesus gave us as Christians to actually reach the world, and that is love one another. Amen. And it's the very thing we're the worst at. I mean, you know, you've got probably a bunch of friends and family members that are staying away from church because of the church. They don't really stay away because of God, per se. Some people do. But the majority of people don't want to go to church because of how they're treated when they go to church. Something wrong with that. So lest we drift away from it. And that's the warning that you're going to see over and over. By the time he, I'm, I'm telling you the end from the beginning so that you're not confused as we go. I want you to see over and over and over how this author defines sin, how he defines obedience, and it is unbelief. It's not a list of actions that he's talking about so that when you walk out of here, you're no longer afraid that this list of actions that I repeat too many times might keep me out of experiencing this eternal life promise from God. No, it's unbelief. So can you lose your salvation? Maybe if you keep believing. Can you sin your way out of it? Well, that depends. Did you righteous your way into it? All right. I, for a Bible nerd like me, I mean, I'm telling you, this is it's powerful. So I hope that it means something to you. For since the message declared by angels... Now, uh, let me just keep going. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect a great salvation? All right, so neglecting salvation is the warning. So... In this particular part of the book, he goes through and he gives validation for the divinity of Jesus. He reminds them of the gospel. If you're following along in Hebrews, you'll see this is what he's doing. And then Hebrews 2.14, Since therefore the children share in the flesh, and he's also reinforcing what it's like to now live under this new covenant. Uh, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. If Jesus has all power, well, that means the devil doesn't have any Amen. other than your willingness to believe his lies. Don't do that. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery, for surely it is not angels that helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Last week we walked through and showed that all believers in Christ are considered spiritually offspring of Abraham because of faith. Next verse. 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. I mean, that, that one phrase is like a four-part series. Jesus becoming like you in every way, yet without sin. You know, Jesus is not the bar that we have to live up to. Well, Jesus did it that way, so now I have to live up to that. Jesus is the example of what life can be like when you live full of grace and truth in the face of your Father being led by Him. So, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, when you look at this as a whole letter, you remember this guy's talking to a group of people who understand priesthood 
And he's establishing that Jesus is the high priest over this new priesthood. For because he himself has suffered when tempted. Jesus was tempted. Is, sin, is it a sin to be tempted? No. Jesus was tempted. Was it like pretending? Was he faking? No, he was tempted. Why? Because he was just like you, a human, limited in every way like we are, yet without sin. Now, that to me is important because that means if he did it, I can do it, meaning win over sin, not give in to shrinking back from our faith. All right. Because he suffered, he himself, uh, he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. When... Was the last, when you were tempted the last time, did you think about Jesus as a source of strength and help, or did you shrink back from him for shame? He knows what you're going through, and he knows how to help you. It's called grace. It's a power that will rise up within you. The next time you're tempted, open your heart to him, not for judgment, but for empowerment. Amen? All right, next verse. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Now, I, you know, some of them were picking up rocks right about now. As much, because he's talking to people that knew the old, the old covenant, the Hebrew, the Mosaic covenant. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. So another kind of warning, another qualification, keep the faith, keep believing. So again here he quotes Psalms, uh, warning about the unbelieving hearts of the children of Israel in the wilderness. Now watch how he ties his definition of sin and disobedience to the illustration of Israel. And to whom he did swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief is the disobedience. Are you with me? True. Pretty clear. Uh, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Say, so that's me. Amen. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. So again, disobedience is unbelief, and unbelief does one thing. It doesn't disqualify you from the grant covenant that's in Christ. It, it keeps you from experiencing the promises. So the actions of sin will harden your heart and desensitize you toward the things that God wants you to lead you into blessing. It does not disqualify you from being a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. It does not kick you out of eternal life. Now, some people will hear this and think, well, he's building a really strong case of why you can just go ahead and keep on sinning. Well, keep coming back. You know, we'll get you straightened out on that. If you think that this message is giving you permission to sin, uh, grow up. Anyway, let's keep going. Hebrews 4.14, and all the Christmas visitors, we love you. <laughs> Hebrews 4.14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Again, let us hold fast our confession. So then chapter 6 through 8, really into 9, he's giving more validation that Jesus is the Messiah, the one through which the new covenant has come. And he quotes Jeremiah, how some have fallen away. 
uh, from the faith, and he was reminding them of their own evil hearts of unbelief. All right, so next verse. This makes Jesus the guarantor or the guarantee of a better covenant. Because I know that you've done it. I know that you've missed it. And because you love God so much, it concerns you that there might be a line there for you that's too far for God and you're done. There might be people in your life that you're wondering, you know, what's too far for them? I don't know. There's no hope for them. You know, that's something that I kind of feel like some of you are experiencing right now, especially around this time. You get to see family members. You get to see family members, or you might have to see family members that you haven't seen all year long. And you're thinking, is there hope for this person? There's always hope. Why? Because Jesus is the qualification. Not them, not what they've been through, not what they have or haven't done. For if that first covenant had been faultless, talking about the Mosaic covenant, you know, the one, when, when people will say, well, you got to preach the whole counsel of the word, brother. What they're talking about is a covenant with faults. It, was, it had faults. It wasn't a false, but fault. It had faults because it was dependent on your obedience, which can't happen, cannot get you into eternal life. So there would not there would have been no occasion to look for a second. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. Say obsolete. That's a big word. Like if Paul were preaching here today and he opened up our Bible and he saw the first part, said Old Testament, he'd say, oh, you mean the obsolete one? Not Old Testament, but Old Covenant. Are you talking about that one that passed away? You talking about that one that I had to battle for? True to get the early church to quit putting on the early believers and making them, you know, hold feasts and be circumcised to be qualified for this grant covenant that's safe in Jesus? You're talking about that one? Obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, say good things, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. Securing an eternal redemption. Are you with me? I want this to bring great comfort to you, but I also want it to give you boldness to go out and love on people, even the people that you think, you know what, they're never, they're never going to believe. They're, they're either too far gone or they're too intellectual or whatever. No, deep with everybody knows they got a father. It's love. The, love is the only thing that testifies of the eternal character of God. Next verse. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once (laughs) for all. You've heard of progressive sanctification. It's like God gives you the Holy Spirit, but you got to clean yourself up. Well, absolutely we should expect transformation. If you plant a seed of eternal, perfect, joyful, uh, righteous life within a human heart, it should grow and it will grow. Now, here's what happens is you got people that know the Bible and have these, all these string of words to describe what they understand about what's in the Bible, all these fancy theological words, 
And typically, in certain circles, what they'll do is they'll say, you know what, I know that you believed one time, but you keep failing in this area right here. I, I see it. We're going to talk about it from the stage. I'm going to call you out. I'm going to make you feel. In fact, I'm going to make you, if you've done it this week, don't be taking communion this week because, you know, you, you're just disqualified from being able to celebrate the body of Christ. You ever been there? You ever been made to feel like you weren't qualified to partake of the body and the blood of Christ because you might have sinned that week? Man, that stinks. That's horrible. That's not what God died in Christ to forgive and give to us to celebrate his body and his blood. Let's just keep going here. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Now, see, when he starts talking about sanctification, he starts talking about where you are in your heart with God. He doesn't start talking about this list of sins that are mentioned by other biblical authors in other places to stay away from idolatry, lust, fornication, drunkenness, all of that stuff. Absolutely stay away from that stuff, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what's going on in your heart. Are you continuing to have faith toward God in what, in what he did in Christ as your redemption? Absolutely, you should abstain from those other things, but this is not what he's talking about. Do you see that? From sanctification, he starts talking about their hearts. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Now, the modern-day church is excellent at reinforcing this evil conscience because what it does is it ministers to the dead man, it ministers to the old man, it's constantly pointing the finger at how you behave in this temporary body rather than talking to who you are in your eternal aspect. Amen the part of you that has been regenerated by Christ and the part of you that is one with him in spirit. Amen. So when he starts talking about sanctification, he's talking about what's going on in their hearts. All right, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's a throwback to those prophecies from Jeremiah and Ezekiel about the washing of the water of the word and the water of the spirit. Again, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. I hope that you notice so far not one time has he listed an action, has he? He's talking about disobedience. He's talking about sin in the context of unbelief. And Jesus is this high priest over this new order, and everything is about him. So draw near. Set aside that sin consciousness. Set aside that thinking that says, oh, I've missed it. I've got to go back to God and try to explain to him how sorry I am so that maybe he'll accept me again. That's an evil conscience, not knowing that you're good with God. Amen. Doesn't mean you should continue in sin. They asked Paul that. What? This sounds like you're saying we can just go out and sin. He's like, no, God forbid. It brings death into your life. Don't sin. Amen. But if you do, you have an advocate with the Father. Don't sin, but if you do, it's a paradox. 
performance-centered Christianity has a really hard time with this. It, it can't wrap its mind around it. It makes everything about Christian, like the perfect Christian in a lot of places is described as the one who sins the least. Again, not advocating sin, but it's not about sin. It's about you knowing the love of God for you and you letting that be birthed into this world. Now, I'm telling you, man, there are some, there are some people who are way more loving, even in their jobs, than a lot of Christians are. There are people that sacrifice everything to go and save people because of an expression of whatever it is. There's a justice, there's a love, there's a something. This has got to be done. That's as godly as anything, sometimes more godly. You know, we want our name on our humanitarian efforts. These people just want people to be saved, delivered. It's a godly thing to want to go in and rescue I mean, if, that, if that's not godly, I don't know what is. Let us hold fast our confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. See, what I'm wanting to do here is lift off the fear that that one more time it's going to be too late for you so that you just don't relate to God that way anymore, that you're just free you just kind of shed that fear of his disappointment for you. It just, you're just free from it. Amen. You just don't even worry about it anymore. You're not even worried about if you're doing the right thing or not. All you want to do is hear God, follow him, glorify him, and love people. Amen. You know, wouldn't that be nice? You just shed, just shed the fear of ever being rejected by God. It's impossible to be rejected by Him, through faith in Christ. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, for if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, what is he talking about? What is the deliberate sin? The deliberate sin is exactly what the Israelites did, and that is... They developed an untrusting, evil heart of unbelief toward God, and they didn't follow Him. That did lead to a bunch of sinful actions, but what he's talking about is the sin of unbelief. Amen. Watch. Keep going. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries, anyone who has set aside the law of... And he's kind of making a comparison here. He's not saying... Uh, let's just read it. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? The way you do those things is unbelief in what Jesus did for you, not through these continual actions. Don't sin, but if you do, remember. First off, there's no more temple to go down and take a goat or a dove or a bull to, so forget that. You can't make yourself righteous, so forget that. Hold the faith. Hold fast to this hope that you have in Him. But we are not of those who shrink back. Say, I don't shrink back. And are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. 
It's secure. Amen. It's absolutely secure. So when you hear somebody say, well, what about willful sin? You can say, he's talking about unbelief. And I know that he's talking about unbelief because the proper way to define terms in Scripture is look where this other author ref ref referenced those terms. And his terms, his definition of willful sin is unbelief. True. It just is. And he gives this whole litany of reasons of why you, as a Jew, keep believing. Now, what good is that for us in this day and age for people? You know, it's not the Bible that you're going to use to convince people of faith. The Bible says so. It's not very powerful these days anymore. Scripture teaches, you know, for us that, that most of us, that means something. But a lot of the world doesn't mean much. They have, you know, all kinds of, there's websites you ever seen the website that points out the inconsistencies in the Bible? Don't feel like you got to have an answer for all that stuff. You just let that stuff speak for itself. It's based on one thing only, and that is, did God send his son into this earth Amen. to be a substitution for what keeps mankind separated from eternal life? And in that, did he take on the appearance and the nature of human and die on that cross. Because that's what it's about. This is, you know, you'd think it would be the most fundamental thing that the church knows. But a lot of the church does not know that on that cross, Jesus willingly laid his life down. He lived a perfect, sinless life to be qualified to be the perfect sacrifice. In him, because he was qualified, and that's what you did under a sacrificial system, you inspect the lamb. You inspect the sacrifice. God found him to be perfect. And it wasn't that God was the kind of God that needs to kill something to be happy, but life needed to be exchanged for death. And what God did was he put within, if you if almost if you think about it in terms of energetics, like energetically for a human to inherit eternal life means you are tuned to a frequency that will last forever. And if you're one degree off, you will not live forever. And it's almost like God took all that darkness, all that disharmony, all that discord, everything that's impure, and he dumped it into Jesus and destroyed all of that stuff. Amen. So what's left is a pure light. You know, there's a lot that we don't understand about the spiritual side of what happens in salvation because we hear it mostly in terms of this ancient kind of language and God and sacrifices and all of that. And there is that aspect. But I pray, and this is what I pray, is that God shows us how to spiritually communicate these kinds of things, how to talk about this in terms where we don't throw out the understanding of the Bible, but we help people understand, look, it's not about a bloodthirsty, paganistic God that needs to kill something. There's something about this eternal dimension that you can't get yourself there. And there's a substitution. There's a way that God sent into this earth to, to do something to you that you can live forever in this place. He has freed you from prison. Amen. He has freed you from darkness. He has freed you from experiencing the perfection that he desired in the beginning. He created it perfectly. It will go back to perfection. Amen. And in the middle, he came and announced, I want it now here like it's going to be then. 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me show you. Let me remove every stumbling block, everything that might separate you from experiencing God's love so that you can just rest in Him. Now, words fall short, but love doesn't. You are not going to convince the most trained seminarian to not put the law on people. Now, they might read it in Scripture, but then they'll read Peter and have a lot of validation for, well, you see there, if you're, you're supposed to keep on living righteously. Well, yeah, but let me just talk to you about Jesus and this resurrection and this thing called covenant that is safe in his efforts and what he did for you. You're not going to be able to go out and use the Bible to articulate people into heaven, but you can love on them. Amen. You can follow what God would say to do. You can affirm their value to you, affirm their value to humanity collective, and affirm their value to God by the way that you love them. See, we carry this ministry of reconciliation. That means we are to go into the world and tell people, look, God is not holding your sin against you. Amen. You know, unfortunately, we have to do a lot of unteaching. We have to do a lot. I mean, good people all up and down this road right here preaching the gospel, but a lot of them still grabbing a little bit of that law and judging you because of your behavior and saying, you should be further along than, than you are. You are not progressing to the speed of my preference. I'm not sure you're saved. Well, look, I'm not going to talk about me, but you, I'm not sure you're saved. Because if you were, you wouldn't do that. It's very subtle and it's very slick and that appeals to your emotions and that causes you to question everything about what Jesus did for you. You ever been there? That is what we are called to do is set people free from that fear Amen. because of what Jesus did. You carry the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. Go tell people through your love for them, they are valuable. Amen. And watch the Holy Spirit then come in and affirm your action toward them. Yes. I got saved without anybody telling me anything. <clears throat> I just had this crazy encounter and God became real to me. And I Amen. thought, oh my goodness, if this is real, God must be real. Oh, wow. You know, I, had, I, I, per, I, I wasn't raised in church. A lot of people, a lot of you guys were, and we've had lots of conversations, and, you know, people says, well, I wish I wouldn't have been raised in church. I don't have a, a lot of all that stuff to undo. But there's a lot of people, especially in this area, there's a lot of people, churched people. And, and, and I don't want you to just take this and feel satisfied or feel like, okay, well, I'm free, but those guys down there are beating people up. Love those people too. Amen. Not because we're trying to make this place get bigger. I mean, we want, I want more people sitting in here hearing this stuff because I want people to actually trust God, not be afraid of them. Amen. I want people to actually follow God because they believe that following Him makes their lives better. Yes. There are, there are philosophers now are coming out. There's a lot of really high-level philosophers, and what they're doing is they're evaluating lots of things on morality and worldviews and all of this stuff. And, and there's a collective philosophical argument right now that says, out of looking at all the worldviews, the Judeo-Christian moral and ethic, if applied properly, is the best way to live for all of humanity and even the planet. Yes. 
Now, that's not maybe necessarily going to get people saved. But the ethic is love one another. Think about that. Think about your jobs if people loved one another. A lot of our jobs wouldn't be necessary. (laughs) Maybe the church would be taking care of more people. All of that stuff, you know. Amen. You're free. God is not upset with you. He is not disappointed in you. He's not looking for a reason to separate himself from you. He has taken care of all of that in Jesus. Amen. You are safe. Now, don't just sit on your safe. Get out there and love people. Amen. 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 The world is starving, starving. And you don't have to be the theologian. You don't have to run through the entire book of Hebrews in 40 minutes. That was pretty impressive, though, wasn't it? You don't have to do that. But you can love them and then watch the Holy Spirit come in. Amen. 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 I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you so much. We just thank you for the gift of life, first and foremost. We thank you that we live on a planet that is perfect for humanity. We thank you that you provide everything that we need. It just grows out of the ground. Father, thank you that we reshift our thinking and we can experience right relationship with you, that we can just let go of all the stuff that keeps us distracted, that we can set our minds purely and wholly on who you are, and that is you are a loving, kind, merciful Father. It's what you've desired from the beginning. You've desired relationship and restoration, and you've sent that message into our hearts. We know that the best way to live is in unity. We know that the best way to live is valuing one another. Those are uniquely Judeo-Christian morals and values. They don't come from any other area. So, Father, we give you all the glory. And, Jesus, we commit ourselves to your teaching, and that is to trust God, to apply his instruction, to live according to his directions, and love people as we go. Because as we love, it is a testimony that you sent Jesus into this earth. Our love for one another should be a testimony loud and clear that we follow Jesus and be convincing that there is a God that you sent him into this earth. And Father, we thank you for giving us the New Testament. We thank you that we can rightly divide what you've taught us and help people understand their security in Jesus. We can help people understand your true nature as evidenced in Jesus. I thank you not for an external sweeping revival, but an internal awakening to who you truly are so that the world would see. May we see more clearly. May we live it more clearly so that you would be glorified and this family that you've created would experience harmony with one another. We give you glory for that. We thank you. And if you're in here, you don't believe, you have believed, you might be thinking about believing, just be honest with yourself. Turn your attention toward him. You know, I'm not sure it happens in a moment like that. It can. For some people, it's a process, asking questions and studying and learning and and getting around the right people. Father, may we be people that can point others to you so that they can find their own faith. They can find this real relationship with you. And if you're in here and you do feel stirred, and it's the first time you feel like, I want to confess this. I, I want to believe. 
Father, that you did send Jesus. I'm willing. Just, just acknowledge in your heart, I'm willing. And watch the Holy Spirit go from there. Amen? Yeah. Amen, amen. Well...